What does healing mean to you? I think healing comes in right action. So that righteousness, right? That very churchy word to use, uh, but that right action that we do to one another, to the rest of creation and to God. I think those things bring healing. Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Welcome to Revealing Voices, Episode 1. I am here with my friend and co-host, Tony Roberts. It's been a long journey, Eric, since uh, that country road we walked down six months ago. And we have a lot of people to thank along the way. First, for several of our Indiegogo campaign financial supporters. Today, we want to mention Janet Holt, Mark Tyke, Leslie Pulverente, and Ann Hart. Also, two who have contributed uh, to this are Trey Scott, who is the musician behind our intro and outro music and everything in between, and also Amy Myers from Ruby Reese Photography, who took uh, all the photos for our website. Our mission here at Revealing Voices is to explore the nature of faith and mental illness. We will ask many questions of our guest um, and a recurring one will be, what does healing mean to you? Yes. So you will find that question, what does healing mean to you, as the introduction to all of our shows. And today for our first podcast, we uh, decided to invite my wife, Jen Riddle, and Tony's sister, April Cohen, to come into the studio uh, because they have unique perspectives from faith, uh, Jen being an uh, elder at our local church, and April coming from a psychiatric nursing background, so they can really answer that question, what does healing mean to you, from those two perspectives. So let's run it up the flagpole and see if anybody salutes. Here we go. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hey. Thanks for coming down to the, uh, the studio this uh, Saturday afternoon. Pretty excited. First uh, Revealing Voices show ever. The That's premiere. Right. This is the premiere. premiere. Yes. Pilot opening episode. Awesome. And we get to be the special ones to be here first. Yep. <laughs> Honorable position here. We, we've got some questions. What is your vocation and what led you to it? Okay, so I think I have um, a bivocation. So one of the things that I do is I'm a behavior analyst and I work with children on the autism spectrum. I've been doing that since I graduated from college in 1999. Um, and so in applied behavior analysis, we work really hard to identify the strengths and the challenges for each individual and then work on building up those strengths and reducing those challenges over time. So 
lots of positive reinforcement, lots of play and fun. And I'm probably one of the only professionals that gets to give piggyback rides and, <laughs> and exily and um, jump up and down and scream and shout and just read stories and stuff like that with kids. It's, it's fun to find what makes them tick and what makes them excited about learning. Um, I think that's a really fun thing I get to do. I also, I feel like I get to minister to families. Um, so having a child with special needs is a very difficult thing. Um, the divorce rate for families with children with disabilities is, uh, at least twice what the regular divorce rate is. Um, and I think that is really connected to mental health as well, because a lot of those families don't really have a lot of time and space for their own self-care. And many times the parents also may have a developmental disability of their own. They might have uh, Asperger's disorder, which is kind of like a more mild version of autism. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times it's, they have global challenges too, because autism treatment is very expensive. So you're trying to help them find um, space for their own mental health. You're trying to help resource them financially, working with insurance companies, that kind of thing. I think I do a lot of advocacy work for families in addition to direct kind of help for them. And so on the other part of my life, I'm also, I also have a master of divinity and I've worked in college ministry and I've done um, ministry here in Columbus uh, with a church we have called the living room that Eric is also a part of. I'm an elder there. Um, and I think that church is a really special thing to me because it's, a non-traditional congregation, you know, it's a, we don't have any paid ministry staff. We're kind of doing everything as volunteers and um, recognizing the value of each believer and the gifts that God has given them and believing that uh, we can make a really impactful church out of that group of followers. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think both of those are vocations, both of those streams of my life are ministries. The ministry thing too happened a little bit later. Um, it was when I was living in Florida after I'd finished my first graduate degree. And I was a part of a, a cool young adult ministry and was a part of that ministry team. And I just felt the call from God to, to become um, more ministry minded to pursue seminary and uh, pastoral type work. Um, and that wasn't something that I ever thought would be for me. I was the kid in church that was, uh, freaked out at the missions conference. <laughs> like, God, don't send me to Africa. Um, but, uh, uh, God didn't send me to Africa. God sent me back to New England to minister to students there. And, uh, that's how I ended up getting hooked up with Eric through his yes. sister. And I must say that, uh, when I heard that you, uh, did behavior analysis <laughs> conversations. I, I really thought this is a woman who might uh, enjoy spending some time with me. <laughs> or run away. No, I wasn't afraid of it, you know. Plenty like, to work with. Yeah. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time around some aberrant behavior, so pretty much nothing Abnormal psychology, me. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So April, uh, tell us a little bit about your vocation and what you have uh, been led. Okay, um, so I am an RN, and I work in the mental health field. Um, I've kind of worked all areas of mental health. I've worked both with adults and with children, inpatient and outpatient. Uh, currently, I work outpatient, so 
Um, I have the ability to go into our consumers' homes that we work with, and um, I not only do like the medical nursing things such as the medications, the injections, but I also assist them with medical appointments, assist them with um, you know procedures that they may have at the hospital that they don't understand uh, what to do to prep for those procedures or the follow-up after it's done. Um, I also have the opportunity to be an advocate for the consumers who are not able uh, to really express themselves and to communicate mm. uh, with others. <clears throat> um, like, you know, um, in kind of all, I work with the SMI population, which is the severe mentally ill. And so um, our consumers tend to have uh, more challenges than some of others. Um, and so, um, but within that though, there's all levels. We have people who can do all of those things independently and don't need a whole lot from me. Uh, we have others who really rely on uh, me being there and to be able to be the advocate for them. What led me to do this? I think that I always had considered being a nurse. I can remember being little and passing by one of the hospitals and thinking, you know, I, that would be something I like to do. I don't think mental health uh, necessarily um, was at the forefront before I went into nursing school, but it became very clear to me that that's what I loved uh, once I, I got through nursing school. <clears throat> um, and I just, I, I mostly enjoy, what I mostly enjoy about my job is just being able to be with the consumers and um, get to know who they are as well as what their illness looks like and very separate you know helping them to understand that they are not their illness so you at what point in your pursuit of your vocation did you discover the uh, outpatient um, work with those who have uh, and then who have mental illness, and then what led you to pursue that in particular? That's a great question. Um, so right out of college, I went into the inpatient. And um, as I was practicing RN on the inpatient unit, I was offered a position in social work, which was um, my husband and I would be doing an in-home parenting program. And I thought, wow, Lord, why this? This isn't even nursing. What, uh, what did I pay all this money for? Um, and so we did just that. Um, and so that led me into home visits and the family units. Um, and what I didn't know was God's plan of combining the in-home visits and the social work piece of it with my nursing uh, expertise and degree which then led me into my next position that I was offered, which was being an RN case manager for a mental health facility. Great. And I can attest, as Eric did with Jen, that uh, God has a purpose and plan in mind, not only with our professional lives, but how it impacts us personally. And April has been a great help for me in my severe mental illness <laughs> with bipolar disorder and episodes that I've had, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. I'd like to hear from both of you, Jim. We'll start with you about the question, you know, what does healing mean to you? We expect to ask this of 
nearly all of our guests. So as you said earlier, this could be broad or it could mm -hmm. be very specific. So where do you take this? So when I first encountered this question, when Eric had introduced it to me, um, the first thing I thought of was the restoration of all things. So in a, a very kind of big picture, broad sense, it's um, the restoration of creation, kind of like when Christ returns and all things are new again. That's when I think of healing, that's where I go initially. But I think inside of that, there is, you know, a personal understanding of healing. And I think that becomes a restoration of relationships with other people that are broken for a number of different reasons. It could be because of my own brokenness or for their own brokenness or decisions or behaviors that we have done to hurt one another. Um, and I think we have a reconciliation that leads to healing in those relationships. Um, not for every relationship, but for the ones that are open to that reconciliation. Um, I think healing needs to occur between us and God mm. and the brokenness that we have in those relation, that relationship with God. And I think uh, there needs to be healing between humanity and the, uh, the rest of creation because there is brokenness there as well. And so I think healing comes in right action. So that righteousness, right? The very churchy word to use, uh, but that right action that we do to one another, to the rest of creation and to God. I think those things bring healing. And I know April, you've experienced healing and look for healing in a variety of forms. What would you respond to about what healing means to you? I would definitely agree that it, it can be simple or it can be very broad. And, and as I was thinking about this question and how I was going to answer this, um, it, I really was led to answer the question from um, a perspective of the, the field that I chose to go into as a help, helping field. And I agree with Jen in that, you know, we have to first check ourselves and, and uh, work on our own brokenness before we can help others. Um, and um, I was really glad to think about the consumers that I work with and what does healing mean to me in working with my consumers. Mm. And one thing that I like to do as a mental health nurse is I like to get to know the people that I work with and you will begin to see their brokenness. And then uh, uh, being able to be a part of helping them uh, reach out to different um, avenues of how they can heal that brokenness. And being able to be a part of that is such a blessing. But then always going back and checking ourselves because we don't want to allow our brokenness to come in the middle of theirs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think it's, it's constant work, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Jen, what is it like to be married to Eric? I knew what I was getting into <laughs> on some level. <laughs> well, the, before I even met Eric, I knew yeah. he was a man with bipolar disorder. We, we didn't have a candlelit <laughs> meal on the balcony of a fancy Italian restaurant where I uh, had to say, Jen, I have a mental health <laughs> condition. Right. And go through the awkwardness. No. That was solved because I was roommates with Eric's sister in Boston, and 
Um, we had an intentional Christian community of women, and we got together once a week to pray together about things. And we knew that uh, her brother was having some struggles, but she was able to express to us what was happening. And, you know, we prayed for you. Um, and so I think, and that wasn't the only time we prayed for you, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, you know, I, I understood bipolar disorder from a very academic sense. Um, I, until I got to know Eric, I didn't know anyone personally who had a diagnosis of bipolar. Um, you know, I just read about it in school and mm -hmm. those things that we learn in abnormal psychology. Um, but, you know, it's different for everyone. Even though you have this diagnosis, you know, I know that it, Tony's experience of bipolar is different from Eric's experience of bipolar because your physiology is different. You have different chemicals going on. There's um, different life experiences that play into everything. Um, we're just really, really complicated creatures, each and every one of us. And so I feel like being married to someone who has a mental health diagnosis is um, similar to being married to someone who has a, another chronic illness. But it's different because of some of the stigma that he's certainly experienced. Um, I think most dramatically in your occupational life. I think that's, that's been the area that's been most challenging right. to us in our marriage um, with you having a diagnosis. So, you know, before, You've only had one hospitalization since we've been married, right? Um, which is a victory. That's exciting. Very much. And, and I think I think it was a very pivotal hospitalization. It was a time that um, you were struggling with your medications and not feeling like they were appropriate. Right. And there was a medication change that happened during that a hospitalization that was positive, and it helped you in the right path. There wasn't a whole lot of sleep going on. There no, and, and we know that sleep is one of your major triggers. And so that's, yeah. you know, just knowing as, as a spouse to someone who has a mental health um, issue, you have to know how to encourage your spouse in, in wellness. And so one of the ways I encourage Eric is in his sleep. Um, but I know sometimes that's, you know, not under your control. <laughs> uh, right. but, but just putting yourself in those conditions to get the best stuff that you need to be in the best place you can be. And I think one of the pivotal moments about that hospitalization was uh, you shared with the church yeah. uh, a need for prayer. Um, and you did not tell me you were going to do that. <laughs> but after it happened uh, and the you know cat was out of the bag, so to speak, I, I gladly accepted, you know, that knowledge being... Um, shared in mm -hmm. the safe community of our church, and that made a major difference. And was uh, I'm thankful for that. And people came to visit you too That's from right. from the church, and um, you know you weren't hospitalized in our immediate community. You know you're about thirty minutes away, and people made the effort to come and visit. And I think uh, that was really important for you because it wasn't in the shadows anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And I love that the individuals came from your church to visit him because, mm -hmm. you know, the stigma is still out there. Oh, my goodness. What do you mean I have to go to a mental health ward? You know, what is that going to be like? I don't know if I can handle that. And, you know, I think just going and seeing that mm -hmm. it's not necessarily what you have in your mind or, you know, is, is going to help break part of the stigma. Yeah. Right. 
So we uh, have a question here for April. Uh, how have you learned to care for Tony when he is having an episode? Hmm. Well, I feel that I'm very blessed in that Tony is very aware of his illness. Um, he's very educated about his symptoms. Um, and he does a lot of the work for himself, even when he is headed toward that episode. He knows that when he gets into a full-blown uh, mania, that what works best for him is to take himself aside and either go to a chapel or go to you know his room and, and do his spiritual work. Um, where sometimes I have to intervene in that is helping him to recognize that he might need to use one of his PRN medications. Um, mm. When he's in the midst of those episodes, he doesn't think, of course, think as clear as he does when he's not. So if I were to ask him right now, what do you need to do if you start to become manic? He would tell me, get medication and everything. But when he's in the episode, he relies on me to be able to be that person to guide him. Um, I'm grateful that he's able to hear what I say and to follow that. That's not always the case with everyone. As you said, Jen, everybody is different. You can have the same exact diagnosis, but it can be very different. And every episode is different. Mm -hmm. um, I work with many consumers who are not able to follow direction mm -hmm. of individuals that they trust when they are in the manic episodes. Um, but uh, Tony and I, um, it actually works very well. Um, we've had um, probably a good two or three uh, episodes where they have really been uh, full-blown mania. And um, we've been very blessed uh, that um, in working with one another and then um, seeking the advice of his psychiatrist, we've been able to um, help keep him out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that the next episode he might not have to go, but being able to use our resources has been a great benefit. One of the things our program will do a, a great extensive amount, in fact, that's sort of our aim is to connect faith and mental health, and the two, two of you exist in, in that inter intersection. Um, so I would like to hear from you about how faith uh, communities and mental health professionals be more coordinated in their care. You know, we, we have two very distinct bodies who in some ways have similar aims. Mm -hmm. At least they share some common goals. Right. And yet sometimes they are, they're working at odds. I'm going to speak to this from the space of um, being a faith leader. Um, uh, one of the things that I discovered in seminary is that I only took one class on pastoral care and counseling. And knowing what I know and the other education that I've had is that that's certainly not enough to really be able to um, counsel and care for people that are, de especially dealing with severe mental illness. Um, and mostly what I learned in that class was that we need to refer. We know, need to know our community resources and know some counselors personally and know what their strengths are and to know where to tell people to go. Um, and sometimes in the faith community, people, they want to come to their pastor and think that their pastor is capable of handling um, anything. 
And I think there are some pastors that think that they are capable of handling everything when Mm. it comes to pastoral care. Um, But that's a dangerous place to be. I think that there's a lot of um, humility that needs to come with standing in the the way of the pastoral position and to be able to, to know when it's beyond your bounds and when you need to be able to say, hey, let's hand this off to some people that I know and trust. And I think from that pastoral position, you do need to do the work to get to know your community mental health. You need to get to know therapists that are in your town, people that are working in the mental health care field. And building bridges um, is what needs to happen. So Mm -hmm. another piece to this is that we have to educate our consumers to when they do go to their church of choice or whatever, and if they are wanting assistance from the pastors for their mental health and things like that, if they belong to a mental health provider, um, all they have to do is sign releases so that the two can talk to one another. And uh, I think that's very important because Mm -hmm. some people who live with mental illnesses don't always want the two to talk to each other. But if we could provide um, the consumer with knowledge of what that could benefit Mm -hmm. for them and how, how those could work together, that would be help. How often do you see that kind of sign off where a, you know, patient or client of yours says, Hey, I'd like my pastor to, be able to sign that agreement so you can talk to them. Very, very rarely from my level. Now, I don't know, you know, if it is from other levels. I have all kinds of other releases, like for doctor's offices and family members and things like that, but rarely do we have it for their pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say, you know, also uh, another area that could, um, an area that could, have improvement made, and that is um, taking the time to say, yes, I need to connect to this mental health provider. Yes, I need to reach out to this pastor because this consumer is, you know, needing some help here. Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, um, the need for mental health is great. Uh, the amount of providers and uh, the direction that things are going in is is lacking, Um I just was talking to one of uh, our psychiatrists the other day, and it's it's decreasing the amount of people that are coming into mental health to become psychiatrists and doctors as opposed to the medical field. And you know, April makes a good point about HIPAA and confidentiality. Um, and yet I, I think there are creative ways to, to work within that. You know, I was a pastor in a small town uh, in upstate New York, and one day that there were there was only one mental health counselor in town, but one day she she brings to me this this gentleman who who clearly had some mental um, developmental challenges, but uh, you know she she never at once discussed his his diagnosis. She just described him as this is my friend Bill, and he's new to the town, and he could use more friends, and mm-hmm. would like you to to help him well later i found out that bill had schizophrenia Mm -hmm. he had challenges that uh, a lot of folks didn't take but without having identified him at the outset 
uh, he he mingled his way in to have relationships, friendships, mm -hmm. be, be, without any violation of confidentiality. I will say on a positive note, which I'm very excited about this, at my workplace, uh, we now have a pastor working for us, not in that capacity, but he is working in the mental health field. So he's, he's doing the mental health work, and he is a pastor as well. So mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that there's going to be some connections made there. You know, he's reaching out. He's, he's learning more and more about mental illnesses and working with these consumers on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, you know, his horizon is broadening in when he takes that back to his church. So I think more things like that, or if people within a church that live with mental illness would start some support groups or something mm -hmm. like that. Right. Um, such as we have, so uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's really powerful um, because I, I think the way that you brought that up, Tony, about the man from your church, it makes me think of how often those with mental illness often are isolated and are not in community, and I think uh, church is a really powerful community for people, um, for um, just relationships and to help to carry one another's burdens, to be able to um, just have fun together, I think, and to support one another's spiritual needs. I think the, the church is an amazing community. Um, and I think making sure that people with mental illness feel included and invited into that community is so important. So, Eric, we'd like to ask you, um, in what ways has Jen encouraged you in your faith? Jen is uh, an elder at our church, so she is in the Bible a lot, uh, has a lot of responsibilities every Sunday, and always modeling leadership in, in the faith community. She's encouraged me and really spoken to the you know, ability and gift that everybody has to have a ministry of some sort. And I, I definitely believe that also. So it, it took me a while to, to realize that, you know, I, I have a ministry, we all have a ministry. And when I discovered that the area and passion around mental health was something where I really, um, just kind of naturally gravitated to, uh, she encouraged that because she, she saw um, the success I was having, the, the health, spiritual benefits to me being involved in this area and really just confirming that what I'm doing is uh, a blessing to others and to myself. You know, I, I don't often get really stressed out, burnt out by it, which, you know, is, is always a sign that you're, you're doing something that's on the right track. And uh, she notices those things and, and can reflect uh, when I might be on the wrong track. And it can sometimes be, uh, you know, encourage me to stay in this ministry. Uh, I, I tend to have a lot of different creative passions, and I, I think she's good at helping me uh, put boundaries uh, on 
on activities and I, I really appreciate that about you, Jen. Thanks, Thank you. Sony. Thank you. So, Tony, can you share a story of when April was um, giving you some loving support when you were definitely in a time of need? December 1, 2016, I was rear-ended by a car on I-49 in Rochester, New York, uh, by someone driving too fast, too closely. And I was taken to the emergency room of the hospital. And um, at the time, I was unable to process how to move. And uh, they uh, tried to lift me onto a... a the thing that you put below someone when you Gurney. have a McGurney. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I appreciate it. Right. Um, <laughs> but it felt as if I were paralyzed, but they didn't find any neurological damage. And uh, I uh, didn't believe they were hearing me and that they were taking me seriously. I began to see that they were, uh, against me that no one was on my side so I called April had my cell phone with me and she was interceding between me and the nurses station calls back and forth and I um, would tell her something that I felt and she would advocate for me and you know the nurses were trying to deal with me and uh, so there was a measure of care provided there but what was even greater is when I went onto the med psych ward unit and uh, uh, began to receive more quality care, but was still far into an episode because I hadn't taken my medicine for a long time. I called April and was bursting into tears and uh, did not want to ask her to come because, I mean, she has a job, she has family. Uh, at the same time, I wanted her to come, <laughs> so I was very grateful. Immediately before I could get a word out, she said, would you like me to come? And I agreed, um, and within 24 hours, she was at my uh, bedside with a, a, a bag of chocolate espresso beans <laughs> and a, uh, a Starbucks black coffee. <laughs> <laughs> And she stayed beside me for two, three days. And that's the sort of care that she's provided for me when I've needed her most. That's great. So now I think we want to ask um, some questions of you guys to be able to get to know you a little bit more. Um, in what ways has faith encouraged you or discouraged you, been a hindrance to you in your mental health? I'll go first and say that uh, I like the way you've worded the question because there is a great <clears throat> blessing to faith and perhaps a hindrance in terms of how uh, faith is perceived by others. Um, in, in the benefit side, uh, you know, I've never felt that God has, has abandoned me. Mm -hmm. You know, I've always felt... The, uh, that that God was was with me through these experiences. Now, sometimes God was so close, I didn't want him around anymore. <laughs> Get away from me, God. <laughs> so, uh, but there was always a sense that, that I was not alone, even 
when I felt um, uh, when I felt alone. Um, so that's on the positive sense. On the the more negative sense is you know having faith in uh, a lot of settings is, is setting yourself apart. And you know we we may especially in the mental health world on both sides. You know, there may be people who have mental illness who reject you because they're angry at God mm-hmm. or they're, uh, they just don't want a faith issue of faith. And then, you know, sadly, there are mental health care providers who are suspicious of the role of faith. And I've had, um, I've seen some of that. So that's, that's been a hindrance for me. Okay. Uh, what ways has faith encouraged or been a hindrance in mental health? I would say, for the most part, it's been an encouragement for me. I, I haven't been a very strong believer throughout my life, especially during my 20s. Uh, but I don't attribute that period of time to my mental health really being correlated to that. Uh, I've just never had the experience of being very angry at God um, as the source of having bipolar. So that that's not really been, a, I guess, a hindrance in my faith. Uh, as far as encouragement, I really see faith uh, as a... Um, there's a lot of different spiritual practices that uh, lead us closer to understanding God. Uh, many of those are things modeled in the life and behaviors of Christ. And so as far as I understand those spiritual disciplines and uh, do them, it helps my mental health. So... Yes, it's been a great encouragement. And then as far as, uh, as I was speaking earlier about ministry, a big reason Tony and I got involved in ministry was because we had been in clinical care, you know, settings for many years without a lot of uh, focus on faith. You know, it's like faith has its own place and then clinical care has its own place, but they were not mixed very much. Um, after my last, uh, hospitalization four years ago, um, I began going to a therapist who is a Christian and uh, he was referred to me because he was comfortable talking about matters of faith in the office. That was a real inspiration. And then, you know, for Tony and, uh, me, the Faithful Friends Ministry, uh, is, another expression of faith being encouraged in others as a place to, again, explore those spiritual practices that are modeled in the life of Christ. So faith has been very helpful for me. I'll pick up there and say, with the Faithful Friends ministry that emerged out of our first Eric and when Eric and I first met, um, we, um, as Eric points out, we had had good experiences in clinical settings with group uh, therapy of sorts, um, and we had had good experiences in faith settings. 
but never with the two being combined. And the more we met, uh, af after we met, the more we met to walk and pray and uh, talk about things, the more that vision emerged that we would like to have a, uh, a faith-based mental health support group. And uh, uh, we pursued that, that vision and contacted people that uh, were doing something similar to that, but found that, uh, you know, really there was nothing that we became aware of in the, in the nation that had the, an identical uh, format that we, was, that we were hoping to, to, to find. And that niche has resulted in a weekly uh, faithful friends group that has served as, as many as 50 people in and out. Uh, and uh, we've met now for three years or more uh, on a weekly basis. And that's meant a great deal to me. Uh, you know, there, there was a time when I moved away to, to New York, and uh, it was a great blessing to, to know that if I needed to come back, I would have uh, good support in my family and friends. Right. And I've got to be just very thankful for others in our group who stepped up when, you know, Tony, when you moved to Rochester. And again, that is people who have a role in ministry in this area. It's, it's not folks coming there just because they're needy. It's because they have something to contribute. Mm -hmm. And everyone in that room has contributed something to my growth and health. Mm -hmm. So uh, it really bothers me when people with a mental health diagnosis are described as consumers because I think it kind of puts that perspective of consuming more than producing. And, and so my part of my ministry is encouraging people to understand they can produce a lot of great works, um, regardless of their mental health status. And I love that you brought that up, Eric, because, you know, in the mental health side of things, they've changed that word over and over. <laughs> you know, it's been patients, it's been clients, it's been consumers. We, we really need to spend a lot of time thinking about the terminology that we use, but I also hate to get stuck in just a, one word because right. I 100% agree. You know, they didn't like the word patients because they felt like they were then helpless and they needed a lot. And mm. so, uh, you know, I, I would love to see a, a term that could be developed that would because you're absolutely right there's not one single person that I have not worked with over the 20 plus years mm -hmm. that I have not gotten something just as much from as hopefully they have from me okay let's let's wrap up and uh, say that uh, we want to thank our guests today Jen Riddle and April Cohen our uh, pers res respective spouse and sister and uh, it is our hope that this, uh, once we play it back, we're going we're gonna to have a, a, a viable 
podcast, uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll learn the editing and all of that good stuff. So we did have a deletion scare moments ago. <laughs> we did find the file, and uh, Back to we're, we're good to go. We're good to Would go. Would have been a great story. <laughs> <laughs> We we won't reveal that we won't reveal that voice. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Okay, yeah, very good. So it's great to have uh, my sister April and Eric's wife Jen in the studio. One thing I took away from this is the importance of caregiving and how that was reaffirmed in my life and Eric's throughout our relationships with Jen and April. Um, they have both taken risks and experienced rewards along the way of uh, growing closer to someone who uh, is both uh, similar and distinct from others. And uh, in doing so, they have inspired uh, many to break down the barriers that often inhibit relationships with persons who have mental illness and uh, it's certainly been a blessing to me and I believe a blessing to others. Tony, one of my main takeaways has really been that uh, you know both Jen and April really help to reflect progress we both made in our lives and also provide gentle accountability. We often don't see uh, progress being made uh, you know within our own minds sometimes and uh, in reality, there are many days where we do really well, and we celebrate those days with them. And I'm glad today was one of those days, and we could spend this time together. Our guest on the next episode is author and life coach Amy Simpson. Amy wrote the book, the award-winning book, Troubled Minds, Mental Illness, and the Church's Mission. She has a deeply personal and profoundly pastoral testimony that has led her to become a leading voice in the Christian community on behalf of those who far too often fall through the cracks. Amy's latest book, Blessed Are the Unsatisfied, Finding Spiritual Freedom in an Imperfect World, focuses on the value of spiritual longing to keep us moving forward in faith, growing in our relationship with Christ. This episode will be uploaded March 15 on iTunes and our website, revealingvoices.com. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. If you need immediate and confidential help, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. It is free. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and staffed by trained professionals. Again, 
1-800-273-8255. The 8255 spells 